Want to drive greater success in social commerce? With Deloitte's latest creator economy research, you can. After surveying over 500 creators and 500 brands, our insights are helping CMOs and marketing teams harness the power of content creators. And not only that, but how to do it well. See for yourself by visiting cmo.deloitte.com today. First brand, Alice, growing up in New Jersey that had a major impact on you. I'd have to say it was Lexus. When I had got some means of success in terms of finance, I went and I bought a Lexus. And then I would say probably about six months to a year after I bought it, I got my first recall and I brought my car to the Lexus dealer. And when I came back to pick up my car, they were waiting for me. Not only had they fixed the recall, they washed the car, they filled my tank with gas, and they gave me a $100 Amex gift card for my trouble with an apology note for having to come back. Few months later, I went to the US Tennis Open and we were sitting in this huge line of traffic. And all of a sudden I see these two gentlemen running at me and they knock on the window and I notice they have like a Lexus hat on and a Lexus logo on their shirt. I roll my car down and he said, thank you for being a loyal Lexus customers. Please follow me. We have special parking for our VIP Lexus customers. Pulled me out of the line and put me in a special lot for Lexus customers. I had no VIP credentials whatsoever other than I drove a Lexus. And so that brand really left a lasting impression on me. Hi, I'm Jim Stengel, and I help major brands find their purpose and activate it, and the profits follow. For seven years, I was the global marketing officer for Procter & Gamble, where I oversaw the marketing of hundreds of brands. You may not know it, but the CMOs, the chief marketing officers of all of your favorite brands, are trying to connect you with your favorite products and services through purpose. And on this show, I delve into how they do it. My guest today on the CMO Podcast is Alice Milligan, the Chief Marketing Officer of Morgan Stanley, the 87-year-old multinational financial services firm with annual revenue of about $60 billion and a market cap of roughly $140 billion. Morgan Stanley has been one active company. It is evolving its portfolio and culture to prepare for its next generation of customers. Morgan Stanley acquired E-Trade in late 2020 and Eaton Vance in March 2021. More recently, Morgan Stanley has forged new partnerships with young sports stars Leila Fernandez and Cheyenne Woods. My guest Alice is a financial services marketing veteran. 15 years at American Express, five years at Citi, before moving to E-Trade as Chief Customer Officer in May 2019. After Morgan Stanley acquired E-Trade, Alice got the big job as CMO of Morgan Stanley. A graduate of St. Elizabeth University and Seton Hall, this is my conversation with a self-described Jersey girl, Alice Milligan. You began your career as an admin assistant. What industry was that in? I was in telecom at the time. So I started out at AT&T in Basking Ridge, New Jersey. And I was there for probably between eight and 10 years. I finished my undergrad and I just started my first year of my master's program when I left telecom and went to American Express. I've been to that campus. It's quite a fortress, the AT&T campus. Yeah, it it was uh, amazing. It was like a, a village onto its own. And at one point, the corporate headquarters was in New York. And there was a huge statue that we called Golden Boy that was actually done and commissioned by one of the first female sculptors to do something for a corporation like that. So they brought Golden Boy from New York City to Basking Ridge. And that was always the sort of legend of the firm of this gigantic statue being, you know, trailered to that location. What was your moment where you decided you wanted to be in financial services? You know, I don't necessarily think, I think I just fell into it. I think it was more about wanting to work for brands that were really great consumer brands and ones I had a common like sense of values with. So when I was looking to leave AT&T, Um, They were offering voluntary retirement packages. So that's one of my fun facts. I retired at a very (laughs) young age. And uh, when I retired, I actually overlapped. I took vacation from AT&T and started Amex for a month-long vacation. But when I started American Express, it was really about the brand. I knew it was a great marketing brand. It was really customer-focused. I respected the leadership there. And so I started out um, in the credit card space You know, I was there for 15 years and then I went and to coach and coaches, you know, leather handbag Mm -hmm. accessory firm. 
uh, retail industry. And at that time, I thought of, sort of thought, oh, you know, it, it really is much more meaningful and a much more emotional play to go into retail and luxury brands. And what I found out pretty quickly is that my heart was really in financial services because although I thought there was going to be this real emotional tie to the products and services, it felt much more to me like a sales channel and really focused on just selling stuff to people where financial services, in my view, is one of those places, if it's done right and it's done well and with integrity, it's really about helping people live their dreams. You know, whether that dream is to get a big screen TV and watch a Super Bowl game or to put your kids through college or to do good for the world, but we enable them to do that, whether it's through credit card products or loans or mortgages or wealth management. And so that really had a lot of meaning for me. And that's why I sort of stayed in the space uh, after that experiment in retail. Alice, you talk about your little uh, turn into fashion and accessories out of financial services and financial service. And you came back because of the impact you can make on people's lives. What was that like when you left American Express and went into really a fashion brand? Then, of course, you came back, which you just talked about. What was that like, that experience? And what did you, what, what strength or skill did you develop while you were there? So it was an interesting decision. And I learned a lot about making those types of decisions and then myself as part of that decision. So first, when I was at American Express, I had reached a point where I was one of the top 25, 30 women in the company. I was running all of American Express's interactive, so web, mobile, email, SMS, from strategy through user experience, through technology for the globe. And it was a wonderful job. I did that for five years, learned a ton, loved it. But as I started to look around for my next career move, I sort of felt there were a couple of things that were important to consider. One is I felt like I had one of the best jobs in the company and really loved it and was excited. So some of the other roles were not as appealing to me. I also was not learning a ton. I felt like I was contributing a lot. But, you know, in a large company, once you know the people and how to navigate the organization, how to get things done, the functional changes, um, it's sort of incremental learnings. And so I didn't feel like I was growing. And then I had been there 15 years. So I was also saying, you know, do I want to be a lifer at this point? Mm-hmm. And so the answer to a lot of those questions was no, I, th- I think it's time to to look at something new. And so I said, let me do something completely different. I've never done retail, never done luxury brands and fashion. And um, what's the worst that could happen? They don't like me. I don't like it. Then I figure out what to do. So I uh, took the leap for Coach. Coach was at a really pivotal time in their history. Uh, Lou Frankfurt was leaving and Victor Luis at the time was coming in as the new CEO. They had just changed creative directors. There was a new head of strategy um, and they were really trying to move from the brand where they had a really big outlet business that was sort of bringing down their retail business a bit. And they were trying to rebrand themselves and and sort of move back into that luxury path again. And so it seemed like a great time for someone with American Express marketing, customer experience type background to come in. What I learned through the experience, so I learned a ton. First was um, I didn't know anything about the retail business, and it was a very different business than financial services. So one thing um, under my remit was really around their digital experience. And in financial services, a lot of digital was not only creating a great customer experience, but shifting people from traditional channels like in-person, phone, Mm -hmm. to digital because it was um, a lot cheaper to serve that way. In retail, it was a very different angle. They were looking at digital as a means to get people into the store. So the types of features and functions and experiences I developed were very different because it was, you know, sort of a different end game. The other thing I learned was how they measured success. And a lot of it was same store sales year over year, week over week, month over month, day over day. Uh, And so, again, digital kind of took away from what was happening there, and they were very cautious about the volumes that were being shifted between them. The other thing I thought was that 
Coach was a smaller company than American Express. And so I felt I'd have a bigger impact and the ability to make more decisions in terms of personal accountability and the ability to be more in terms of leadership of the overall firm. What I found out was uh, that some of those measurements really drove a different type of culture where it was very sales-driven versus experience-driven. Uh, so not as much luxury brand and emotional components as I thought it would have. The other thing I learned was that even though it was smaller and I had the ability to make more decisions, more of the decisions were made at the CEO level. And so I actually had less decision-making accountability in terms of my budget and what I spent my budget on and my people than I did at a large company like American Express. And then the final piece uh, was that many of the people there looked at other firms to grow their careers. So there was a lot of jumping between Coach and Kate Spade and Tori Birch and Michael Kors, et cetera. And then people would come back, but they really looked outside for growth and for compensation increases. And so as a leader, you didn't spend as much time coaching, mentoring, and guiding people in terms of their career. So I really learned that that was part of the job that I loved the most. Um, so I stuck it out for a year. That was my commitment to make sure I stayed for a year. And then I looked for something different. What would you say is the key to success for today's CMO? If you said data, you wouldn't be the only one. At Deloitte, however, we believe data is only half of the equation. The other half, story. Because data is the language of business, but story is the language of humans. And we believe the most successful CMOs know how to harness the power of both data and story. To learn more about Deloitte's CMO program and how we can help today's CMO succeed, visit cmo.deloitte.com. I want to shift a little bit into your current CMO role. And Alice, I'd have to tell you, of all the CMOs I've recently had on the show, your job is up there in terms of lots going on. So first, we're in the middle of a very turbulent economy. And I am sure you're all doubling down to help your clients. That's just who you are. Second, you're integrating a couple of recent acquisitions. Third, you're about a year into your role as CMO, so I'm sure you're still on a steep learning curve. At least that's what I found in my first year as CMO. And then fourth, you have ramped up your marketing innovation and creativity to prepare the company for a next generation of, of consumers. Yeah. So that's a lot. Do I have that about right? Yeah, yeah. I think I think one of the things that's been important or has been a landmark of my career has been the only constant is change. Um, and so when I left City, which I had been at City for five years, and I was the chief digital client officer for the U.S. Consumer Bank, I started at Ease Trade as a chief customer officer. Probably eight to nine months into my tenure. You know, we had the whole change in the industry where it was zero commissions. And then we also went through, um, you know, the start of the pandemic, and then we were purchased by Morgan Stanley. So within my first year, a lot changed and a lot happened. Uh, I think the great news was we had developed very early on a strategy around growth and focusing on next-gen investors, uh, broadening their engagement with the firm from just trading through retirement, investing, and banking. And all of those things were still important and really enabled us to sort of weather the storm of the early days of the pandemic when the market was, was crazy, a little like it is now. And then with the purchase of Morgan Stanley, spent a good amount of time in thinking through what the right integration was. In my role now, I think it's really an exciting time for the firm because as you've heard some of our senior folks um, like Andy Saperstein, who's co-president, uh, talk about, we really feel like we're in a category of one. We've spent a lot of time in growing the business. James established a really sound strategy and has been sort of methodically executing against that strategy for years, truing up the business and ensuring that uh, we have a sound business despite or regardless of what type of economy we're operating in. And then we've done a lot around acquiring technical capabilities. If we don't have them and we haven't built them, how do we acquire those right capabilities and companies that have broader audiences than the firm traditionally has had? 
So what's been exciting for me is now thinking about how do you take a really powerful and strong brand like Morgan Stanley and elevate that into an enterprise brand, you know, sort of serving or representing a house of brands that appeals to a very broad audience with a broad set of products and services. So we've been doing a lot of work around that and, and trying to innovate in the space bring in new platforms and new go-to-market strategies, and then take some of those brands like the iconic E-Trade brand and ensure that it reflects that Morgan Stanley is the master brand, but is still unique and independent and appealing to the audiences it always has. And so that's been a really interesting challenge that we've been working through. So the E-Trade baby will not become the Morgan Stanley baby. Uh, well, if you notice, though, I think what was funny is, um, you know, we tried to be really smart about the E-Trade Super Bowl commercial. And as you know, Andrea Zaretsi is a, is a fantastic and really smart CMO. And one of the things that was really important was poking a little fun at ourselves. So, you know, there were some suits uh, involved oh, yeah. in that going into the wilderness with the baby. And um, we really tried to play with that. I think the the underlying message was, you know, by bringing the baby back is to give our clients the reassurance that, you know, nothing's changing as a result of Morgan Stanley taking um, this brand over. It's really additive. You know, one plus one equals three. And it was really important to convey that we want to keep that, you know, sort of independent spirit of the brand, but represent all of the great access they now have to a whole host of new opportunities that we bring to our clients. Alice, this, you, know, you just went on about all the things going on in your company and you really do have a full plate. Give us a window into how you're managing all of this. I mean, what are your personal priorities. I often ask people if I looked at your diary for the last three months, what would I gather from that in terms of insights about what you value, where, where you are spending your personal time? So give us a bit of a window into your life as CMO and how you're making priority choices. Yeah. And I think at, uh, in one of your previous podcasts, you said something about don't let your inbox control your yeah. outbox. Yep. And I think that's a, you know, a really relevant piece of information. The other thing I would say is early in my career, I got some similar advice, which was be the CEO of your own calendar. Because when you come down to it, because of the the complexity of today's environment, the only thing sometimes you have control of is your own time, how you spend it and what you spend it on. So I try to uh, really be conscious of that and have been for a long time. I think the first thing I did when I took on this role is I, you know, I just said to myself, take the first 90 days and just listen. Don't jump in there with all your ideas and thoughts, but go out and talk to people. So I spent um, that first 90 days speaking to everyone at all different levels in my organization, in our partner organizations across the business to see what were the most important areas to focus on or what were the biggest challenges that the firm was facing. And what I heard, and, and the good news was there was a ton of consistency in where the opportunities were. So it wasn't like, you know, how do I figure out what to, what to weigh my uh, measure and how do I think about what I should focus on? It was really clear. The first thing was the brand strategy, as, as you just mentioned, Jim, and we talked about, you know, there's a lot going on. There's new audiences that the brand needs to appeal to. We need to sort of elevate the Morgan Stanley brand to be more of an enterprise brand. How do we fold under this sort of house of brand strategy and how do we execute on that? And then how do we think about that creatively in terms of how we show up in the market and how we tell our story? So that was the really one key area of focus. The second was, um, and, and this is near and dear to my heart because I've spent a lot of time in my career in operations and technology and sort of data and so looked at what we were measuring in terms of success and how we were showing what marketing was contributing to the business. And there wasn't a lot of information on that. Uh, and so thinking about data analytics, how do we start to establish scorecards and reports and understand what the impact of the marketing we're doing so we can show the value to the broader organization? The third area was really around our digital experience and our content and ensuring it's real time, it's relevant and understanding what's working and what's not working. 
Morgan Stanley has some fantastic content from flash briefings like Thoughts on the Market to award-winning podcasts like Access and Opportunity with Carla Harris. And so it was really thinking about how do we broaden the appeal of that and how do we ensure we're getting it to clients and prospects and opinion influencers in the right way. And then the final area is historically Morgan Stanley has been a human FA-based or private uh, wealth manager, uh, investment banker-based business, which tends to lean towards sales and product organizations. And here with our growth agenda and our expanding audiences, we really needed to shift to a marketing organization. And so my final area of focus was really how do we make the firm be sort of the employer of choice for the next generation of marketers? How do we get out there so that they understand, you know, Morgan Stanley is a firm that's about marketing and that's about understanding and talking to clients and getting our story out there in ways that are compelling for new and younger marketers um, in the space. And so those are the areas that I've really been focused on over the past year. Let's stay with that one a little bit, Alice, Uh, Mm -hmm. kind of shifting one of your areas of focus, one of the five areas is is to become more of a marketing company and a magnet for top marketing talent. Can you tell us a little bit about how you were doing that? That's yeah. a great aspiration. It's when you're a PNG, it's not as hard because you have the reputation as a marketing company. Yeah. But you're you're obviously trying to build that reputation. So how are you going about it? What have you learned? Yeah, there's a couple of ways. So, you know, the first thing I always believe is you you got to you, know, you know, sort of clean your own house, right? Start at the inside and work your way out. So the first thing that we did is the the way that we've structured marketing within the firm is we've sort of centralized it, but kept those strong lines to the business. So we have Andrea, who's the CMO of Wealth Management and E-Trade. We have uh, a gentleman named Chuck Burke, who's the CMO of our asset management business. And then I'm the CMO of Morgan Stanley and sort of those, uh, we have dotted line relationships along with straight lines into the lines of business. Uh, so some of it was structural and how we thought about that. And then there's some dotted lines into the data and analytics team and our creative services or production areas as well. After centralization, then the, the next thing we focused on is saying, you know, we've got some good marketers in the firm, but there's not a ton of communication across those organizations. So we did things like... Um, comprehensive and all-inclusive town halls to start to talk about what our strategies are and what we want to do and lift all boats in terms of the overall communication. We got together uh, as a marketing community and developed a an aligned strategy around what we wanted the marketing organization to be and look like and then how we would measure success in terms of KPIs and goals. Uh, We created a website that we call our mobility website, which has all of the open roles across all of those teams so that anyone who's interested in a marketing role can see what's available at all different levels within the organization. And then we look to our HR partners to talk about a few things like creating a very specific summer intern program and analyst program. So there's firm-wide programs, but none of them really tapped into, for example, traditional marketing schools, traditional marketing expertise, and focused on marketing jobs. So we worked with HR to customize the program for marketers, and we have launched our uh, inaugural program this summer, where we'll have four uh, new analysts come in and summer interns that will be specifically working on marketing initiatives. After we did that, then we've been doing a lot around what we call um, a curriculum that we've created that's called Marketing Matters. So that really shares information where we're bringing outside um, points of view in. We have someone come in and talk about the metaverse. We had someone come in and talk about the changes in technology in media. We've had um, a few of our internal folks talk about, you know, sort of evolution of the E-Trade brand and evolution of the Morgan Stanley brand. So really creating that sense of community and culture within the firm around marketing. And now we're starting to do our external outreach where we're, you know, talking about what we're doing about the firm. You're starting to see advertising. You're starting to see PR. So I think all of that is, is really helping us appeal to that next gen. It's a great story. And it will continue, right, Alice? What, as you think about this organization and how, you know, you're investing in it and you're evolving it, 
What do you see as the most important capabilities to build function-wide for you to realize your potential as a company? What, 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 which ones are mission critical? You know, I think the first and foremost, especially as a company that is, um, you know, serves a host of different co- constituents from institutions and companies, uh, company decision makers to end consumers. Um, I, I think what's important is a culture of curiosity and collaboration is probably one of the first mm-hmm. things. You know, nobody is an island to themselves, and it's really important for people to collaborate, bring their expertise together in service to the client in new and different ways. And so Morgan Stanley has an amazing culture when it comes to collaboration. And uh, recently, as part of some of the brand work that I'm doing, we did a lot of interviewing with our clients, institutions, existing wealth management clients, and then prospects. And one of the things that was really uh, impressive to me is when we talked to a number of our institutional clients, what they said is, you know, I've worked with a lot of the big firms. Morgan Stanley, when I work with them, it doesn't feel like an org chart. Everybody works together, rolls up their sleeves, and I almost don't know what group somebody is in or represents because of how they come together for the client. And so I think that's, that's really important. Uh, the next thing is to ensure that you have the products and services um, that meet the needs of the clients that you have. And so we've spent a lot of time and we have a robust and really rich set of products and services from our research tools uh, to our technical capabilities to self-directed tools through the acquisition of E-Trade uh, to some behind-the-scene tools, but that are very sophisticated, uh, like the work that Parametric does that serves RFAs and the RIAs that do business with Morgan Stanley. So I think that's another critical component of things. And then listening. So we do a really extensive amount of research with clients uh, in anything that we do, whether it's creating a new experience on our website or our mobile apps, uh, looking at our brand strategy and how, how we show up to market, um, or uh, creating new products and services. And that that sort of ongoing, we've got panels with customers on there that we have an ongoing conversation with through qualitative and quantitative research just to inform everything we do. You talked a few minutes ago, Alice, about coming, you joined E-Trade as chief customer officer, Morgan Stanley bought E-Trade, and then shortly after you become CMO of Morgan Stanley, after coming in as chief customer officer at E-Trade, tell us that story. You know, you were acquired, then all of a sudden you're in the big job. And how did it happen? Were you surprised? Did you feel prepared? So it's always interesting when people, you know, (laughs) go through an experience as you did in the last year. Tell us about that. You know, and it was really interesting because we did this all during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. So when the Morgan Stanley acquisition was announced, it was, uh, you know, we were told internally probably in February. And within a few short weeks, everybody was quarantined for COVID. So for the probably first year and a half, I never met any of my peers, you know, Andy, who is now my boss at, uh, at Morgan Stanley in person. Um, and so there was, it, it was a really interesting experience. You know, Jim, to be honest, I tend to be, I, you, when I introduce myself, I tell people right away, I'm not a hugger. So I think I was like sort of in, in style before the pandemic um, or during the pandemic because I'm not somebody who's real touchy feely and I'm, I tend to be an introvert. Um, I found the pandemic at, in, in that way was really helpful because I used a lot of tools and techniques to get to know people and to sort of share my team's work and share what we were doing, which I think was one of the things that positioned me well for the position uh, that I have now. So I did a lot around, you know, sort of uh, Zoom meet and greets. Uh, where we had people introduce themselves, tell their story, tell fun facts about themselves. We did Zoom, you know, happy hours where we had a mixologist come in and we all made our drinks at home and and, and did things um, over Zoom. And then I did a lot around deep dives, just making sure the leadership team at Morgan Stanley understood some of the work and contribution that we had. 
you know, I think, uh, again, strategically, it was very intentional for the firm to bring um, E-Trade in, not just for the technical capabilities and for uh, the innovation and for the client base, but because E-Trade has historically been known as a great marketing firm. Um, and so I think there was definitely, you know, sort of positive halo and momentum around all of us who were doing marketing. Uh, and then we shared a lot of the work that we had done since we started, you know, a whole new onboarding process and bringing in next gen, changing and enhancing the acquisition funnel. All of those things had proven out to be very successful. So it was a great story to tell. Uh, and then I think some of it was, you know, a matter of intentional um, sharing what I was interested in, what my team was interested in and what we thought we could contribute, uh, a little bit of luck. Uh, and landing in the right spot because, you know, again, Morgan Stanley's intention was to grow, not to uh, bring in capabilities and then sort of uh, reduce the redundancies. And so we were purchased in a way that was really additive to the firm. Um, and so that was lucky. And then, you know, Andy, James and the leadership team there really just embraced us and, and I think created a great opportunity for me and many of the leaders on the E-Trade side. Alice, how do you feel you've evolved over the past year as a leader? How, how are you a different leader today than you were a year ago? I would say leadership and being a good leader changes all the time and every day. And, it, and it's really situational in terms of where you are, who you're leading, at what company and what's going on in the industry. I, I think there's been a, a couple of things I've learned over time that I just feel have served me well and continue to serve me well. Uh, you know, I spent a lot of time earlier on in my career being very critical of myself uh, in terms of what I was good at, what others were good at. And, you know, being a woman in financial services, you know, I'm not the type of person who can calculate basis points in my head uh, and everyone else can. So I would say the things I learned was, you know, sometimes the harshest critic is yourself. Uh, and most people are not as hard on on me as I am on myself. And so I had to spend a lot of time taking sort of self-doubt and channeling that into trusting myself a bit more. Uh, the way I did that was, um, you know, a few things. One is I learned to play to my strengths. I found that if I focus on what I'm really good at and what I really love to do, I'm great in terms of my performance and, and the outcomes that I drive. Uh, and so I started to really look at, you know, taking roles, assignments, working for companies and things that, you know, had 80% of what I was good at and maybe 20% of what I needed to learn. And so there was a really good balance and I could contribute quickly. The other thing as a leader, which I still do um, and really intentionally, is then recognizing that I try to surround myself with people who are better and brighter than I am at the things I don't do well. You know, I'm not afraid to say I don't know. Uh, and I really love to empower people who are better at things to do what they do best. And I find that really makes for a better leadership team and better outcomes when you focus on that. The other thing I would say is, um, you know, your career is a marathon, not a sprint. And so there's there's decisions that I make, uh, whether that's for my own career or that I advise others who are on my team, uh, that are about being in it for the long haul, not the short haul. Um, and then finally, I think I focus on leaving a legacy. So, you know, I'm not somebody, you know, I've changed industries, I've changed roles and functional areas, but I don't do that until I have left that area better than when I found it. Um, and so I set goals for myself. I set a vision for my team. Um, I sort of chunk out how we're going to execute that against that. And then I don't do that until I leave. And, and so I think that sets a really great example for the people that work on my team to understand that, you know, accomplishing, leaving that legacy, coaching and mentoring and having the trust and confidence in yourself to be able to bring in people who are different and brighter um, is important. And then I would say the final thing I've learned has been, you know, as I mentioned, I spent a lot of time trying to figure out how I could be the same. And what I what I came to realize, uh, and that's when I felt like my career and, and my ability to lead took off was it's not about being the same. It's about being different. 
And so how do you embrace your differences and bring those to the table? Because any good leader doesn't want, you know, a yes person. They don't want someone who thinks the same. They want someone who brings in a new idea. And so, you know, my background, my experiences, you know, the fact that I'm a Jersey girl all makes me very different from other people. And so when I bring that to the table, it makes a better product. And I try to coach that in my team and the people I lead and just share that story because I think as you share your story, people people start to embrace the elements that are similar to what they feel uh, and can shine as well. You said you learn to play to your strengths, to do what you love to do, to complement yourself with your team. What I know these are always hard questions to answer about yourself, but what do you feel are your greatest strengths? What are your gifts as a leader? What is your, many people call them superpower? Yeah. Um, I would say I am a person who always um, thinks about the customer first. You know, I I am a customer, so I behave that way. You know, in any company I've worked for, I become a customer of the firm. I'm on the website. I'm trying things. I'm doing things. I'm transferring funds. I'm trying my own trading. I'm trying my investing. And then I start to see, you know, what's hard, what's easy, what's intuitive, what's not what makes sense. And so I always encourage my team, like, you know, be a customer. Uh, and they, you know, sometimes hate it because they'll get, you know, notes from me on Sunday mornings that would be like, you know, not for today, but on Monday when you get in, this link didn't work. That didn't work. This, you know, how could we do this better? I really didn't understand this. And so I think just experiencing what a customer goes through is a really critical part of being a good marketer. You know, I think the other thing, and and I try to represent that, you know, if I'm in a circle of peers, you know, there's a lot of focus in a publicly traded company on, you know, shareholder value and profitability, which, you know, you need to do. Um, but there's not always somebody being the voice of like, what does this mean for the customer? And will they understand that? And it's a great product, but does anyone need it? Um, and so I'm the person who tries to bring that to the table using the data and the information that I have, the research that we've done to sort of um, support uh, the point of view. I also think that um, as I think about the team, I, you know, I spend a lot of time coaching and mentoring people and empowering them, but recognizing that when you empower someone, you know, it's on you to provide the air cover that they need if something goes awry. And so trying to give my team the confidence that, you know, I've got your back, um, feel comfortable in making the decisions, you know, take the risks that are calculated and, and smart risks, but know that I'll be here um, to support you and guide you along the way. And then um, I think the final thing is just trying to connect the dots. I think what a good leader does is get out there, see and understand what's going on, whether it's within the organization or the bigger industry, uh, and serving that role to ask the right questions, even if you don't know you know, every last detail. Uh, but I think that experience that I've had in being in operations and technology and data and marketing enables me to have enough you know, knowledge to be dangerous in terms of asking the right questions and, and pushing on the, you know, we can't do that uh, type of mentality to say, let's let's twist that a little bit and say, how can we do it? You know, there, there's probably a way we can accomplish the end game, maybe not the way we set out to do it, but let's do a little bit of brainstorming. And I think that's that's all helpful in terms of being a good leader. That was great. You went through what your strengths are. What are you working on as a leader? You know, I am always working on, I would say, uh, at times, because I'm probably not a hugger. Uh, I said I'm a Jersey girl and, you know, Jersey girls have a little bit of a reputation in terms of being very direct. Uh, I can be a little intimidating, I think. So I, I do try to work on making sure that, you know, especially with junior people in the team, I'm not coming on too strong. Uh, I always have a point of view for the most part, but I'll change that if I'm given, you know, good information and good data that sort of questions what I think. And so ensuring that I create that environment where people are not scared to speak up. Um, but they feel comfortable in speaking up and they know that I'll change my mind. So I would say that's one of them. You know, I, I'm always a work in progress when it comes to being self-critical um, and being a harsh critic on myself and, and just really continuing to sort of be resilient in those times where I don't think I've done as well, sort of brush it off and, and move on to the next thing so I'm not ruminating on that. And then I think I'm always just growing in terms of 
you know, learning the latest in terms of technology and marketing techniques and just being open to that. It's, it's, it's a very sort of fluid, complex and ever changing environment that we work in. What's been your biggest challenge in year one as CMO of Morgan Stanley? You know, I think some of it has been around just enabling or ensuring people understand the value of marketing. You know, the firm has been extremely supportive uh, of marketing overall. You know, they know the growth agenda depends on it, but they don't necessarily understand all the nuances. So as we've gone through the brand strategy you know, we're going through the typical things, you know, what's the brand's purpose? What are our commitments? What's our personality? You know, how does that mesh with our core values? What's the positioning? A lot of that terminology is not, you know, is newer to people who haven't been in that sort of traditional marketing culture. And so it's sort of translating that in ways that people understand through stories that make sense. Uh, and bringing people along. So I've spent a lot of time, you know, we've thought about what are the ways to engage people at every level. So as we've been doing some of this work, I've created, you know, different forums where we have gone to town halls and and shared the work that we're doing. We did um, interviews with all the senior leaders and kind of told them how that that would be used and what we would do with it. And then we've been coming back with like the next round of iterations in terms of where we are. We created a website where we have, you know, called Evolving Our Brand and, you know, people could go in there and they see infographics about some of the research we've done. They can vote, they can like, et cetera. And so we're trying to engage them using tools um, that are just common tools we use as people today. And then um, just keeping that message fresh, like getting out there, talking to people, having my team do it, making sure we're collaborating and just sharing, I think, has been uh, some of the most successful ways in terms of getting people to understand what we do and why it's important. And, you know, one of the things that I feel has been important to share is that, like, really what marketing at the heart of it is about, um, it's about translating what we do into what we say. And and that's really um, enabled me to get people sort of on board and understanding, hey, yeah, now I, I know what this is about. And I do think we have a good story to tell. Let's get it out there. Do you have any tips for how to ensure everyone in your large organization has a common and unified view of the brand? Because obviously the brand is nothing more or less than what they do every day. Yeah. And so, and it's, you're a big organization. I've been a part of a big organization. Sort of getting everyone to believe in the brand, to understand the brand, to feel like it's theirs, they can speak about it in their own language. Any tips for, because you're evolving this brand, you're changing it a bit. It's now a, you know, you're a house of brands in a way. Mm-hmm. So any any thoughts on how you're, you're doing a lot of listening, you're doing a lot of sharing, yeah. a lot of engaging. I'm sure that's probably where you're going to go. But any ideas for our listeners for getting everyone on the same page with the kind of brand you want to be? You know, I think one of the one of the wonderful things about Morgan Stanley and one of the things we've tried to focus on or I've tried to focus on as um, as we start, you know, on this journey in terms of the next generation or the next evolution of our brand is, you know, being true a bit to the legacy of the firm. You know, the firm is 87, I think, mm-hmm. plus years at this point. And people love this company. People who work for the firm love the company. And, you know, it was funny because one of the first times we were at a dinner, a face-to-face dinner, um, after the acquisition of E-Trade, James said one of the ways he measures success uh, of, you know, his himself as a CEO is whether or not people are proud to work for the firm. And when we were recently doing our brand research with employees, nine out of 10 of the employees that we did research with said they are proud to work for Morgan Stanley and they would be proud to, to you know, be at a cocktail party and say, if someone says, you know, who do you work for? They don't say, oh, I'm in financial services. They say, I work for Morgan Stanley. Um, and so I think part of it is being true and creating and, and reinforcing a brand that um, already exists in terms of the hearts and minds of the employees there. 
Um, and so we're very focused on that. You know, how do you modernize? How do you bring it to a new level or a different audience, but stay true to the to the firm's roots? Um, and so you're going to see a lot coming in the coming months and, and early next year as well. Um, but, you know, I think a lot of that has been to be true to that. The other thing I would say is just communication, you know, continual communication and engagement. So there's nothing that I'm doing in terms of our brand strategy work and and then some of the work we're doing in terms of the upcoming creative and the new platform that we launched. So, for example, Everyone Deserves a Shot is a um, is a platform around diversity and inclusion that we launched with the Players Championship. All of that has been informed by input from our employees, uh, whether it's employee networks or it's general research that we're doing with employees, focus groups, et cetera, continuing to make sure that they feel engaged and that they're contributing. It's much easier to own and feel proud of something if you feel you've had a hand in the making of it. Um, and so that's a lot of what we've been doing to, to try and make sure that people understand it, are engaged in it, and then reflect it in their interactions with clients. Because that's really where the rubber meets the road. You know, you can say anything about your brand, but if I don't feel it as a consumer, I'm not going to believe it. Yeah, that's a very important point you just made there. Absolutely, it's only important as if people notice it that are important to the company, right? Which are yeah. your clients and partners. You talked about legacy a moment ago. If you look out, I don't know. Let's take the long view—five to ten years. How do you hope people will describe Morgan Stanley? Then, I think what our brand is about is creating and capturing untapped opportunity for people. You know, because of the reach that we have as a firm, you know, we can provide access to new and different paths. You know, we've got vision to see things that maybe uh, our clients can't see on their own. And what I've learned through a lot of the research that we do is, you know, people all are starting from a place, right? And have a sense of what they want to accomplish, regardless of what that is, whether that's, you know, financial well-being, well, whether that's community, whether that's health, whatever they want to accomplish and achieve, they sort of have an idea of what they want to do and how they might want to go about it. But what they seek from a lot of the financial services firms and, and from Morgan Stanley and what and what we can do for them is the ability to see things they don't see, to help them go a little bit further and to give them the access that maybe they don't have. And whether that access is because um, you're someone who ha doesn't have the same background as other people, you know, you're a diverse individual who hasn't had the same opportunities. Um, how do we as a firm give those to people who want to do business with us who, who, or who choose to do business with us? So I think five years out, if, if people are saying, you know what, I've worked with Morgan Stanley and, you know, they've seen things I couldn't and I'm in a better place because mm -hmm. I've worked with them is ultimately what we want to achieve. That's great. Let's move to the creative brief. First question, who have been the most influential business mentors in your life? There's a couple. You know, having worked for American Express, um, two of the most significant um, mentors for me or, or examples and role models have been Ken Chenault and Al Kelly. Um, you know, Ken, especially, you know, I was at American Express during 9-11 uh, and the way he handled, you know, that employee base uh, during that time, you know, our building, uh, we had to move out, you know, structurally unsound. There was a whole bunch of things going on. There were people, you know, we were in the building at the time. And the way he helped us ride that storm through compassion, through confidence, through being, you know, just a fantastic leader was an example um, that I think I've always taken with me in recognizing the importance of leadership um, on the well-being of employees that work for you. Uh, Al Kelly, who's now the CEO of Visa, he was always a great role model. And I remember examples, you know, when I first started with the firm, I think it was a week after I started, I had a breakfast with Al and it was a group of, you know, new employees. He knew every one of our names. He knew where we had come from. He knew what area we were in. And he wasn't holding like a paper or a cue card. And the fact that every time I saw him after that, he knew my name. He ended up knowing my husband's name. Uh, it just, again, was really that personal touch of saying, regardless of whatever level you achieve, 
the little things you do mean so much to the individuals in your organization. Um, and so that, that hello and that knowing your name is something critical. And I've tried to do that and take that with me throughout. You know, there's a few leaders, I won't necessarily name them, but uh, in particular, male leaders have been great mentors in just helping me understand my contributions, uh, how to ask for what I want as uh, a leader, and then giving me the confidence to um, make decisions and take risks uh, and, and trust in my ability to take those risks because of the knowledge and experiences that I've had. Who has been the greatest inspiration in your life? You know, I would say probably my husband. Uh, and the reason I say that, you know, I think it was uh, Sheryl Sandberg that said at one point, you know, be be really f- careful of the partner you choose in life because that will be um, something that, uh, you know, sort of goes with you through the, throughout the path. And I've seen that, you know, as I've grown in terms of my career, you know, he's been there. When I started school and went to school for, I think it was like 13 or 14 years at night, you know, he was actually the one who encouraged me to keep going through the master's. When I finished my bachelor's, I was sort of like, oh, finally, I'm going to have some free time. And he's like, just, just do the next four years and then you can have free time. Uh, And, you know, while I was doing that, you know, he was doing a lot of the things that, you know, probably we would be doing together at home while I was studying and going to school. Um, You know, he's also had some health problems. Uh, He had liver cancer at one point and ended up having a liver transplant. Um, And he's doing great now. It's been seven years. So that's wonderful. But, you know, even that, you know, going through that with him, I think some of those things either make you stronger or can separate you. And and we've grown stronger, I think, by, you know, just dealing with that together, being open and honest, uh, recognizing where your priorities in life should be at any given time. And that, you know, even though we all do uh, what we love and feel our jobs are important, there are some other things that are much more important in life. And, you know, if you make the decisions and you do the right thing, the rest comes. Well, we're recording this on my wife and my 39th wedding anniversary. Wow. Oh, my God. You got us beat, too. Yeah. So I, I loved hearing what you just said. And uh, But Warren Buffett, I had the privilege of meeting him one-on-one at one time. And the first thing he said to me was, the most important decision in your life is who you choose to spend it with over and out. Nothing's even close. Yep. Alice, I, I want to keep talking, but we have to stop. We, this has been a wonderful chat, a wonderful conversation. You're very inspiring. I love the journey you're on, and I will look forward to seeing more and hopefully to meet face-to-face someday. Yeah, I look forward to it too, Jim, and thank you for your time and making it a very easy conversation. That was my conversation with Alice Milligan. Three takeaways from this one for your business, brand, and life. The first one, a simple one, be a customer of your own products and services. Alice talked about one of her strengths is that she really uses the products and services of her company, and she looks for what's going well, what's not going well. This is a really powerful thought for all of you and your organizations. You should be using and experiencing yours and your competitors' products and services. Second takeaway, be the CEO of your own calendar. When I asked Alice how she was managing all of the things in her first year as CMO, she said, I am the CEO of my calendar, and I was taught that years ago by another leader. Third takeaway, curiosity, collaboration, listening. These are the key capabilities of the future for the marketing group at Morgan Stanley. When I asked Alice about the capabilities most important, she went right there because we're in a dynamic world. We need to be listening, sensing, and collaborating. And bonus takeaway, I loved when Alice talked about how you should trust yourself, listen to your gut, don't be so self-critical, and play to your strengths as much as you can and bring in a team that complements your strengths. That's it for this episode of the CMO Podcast. If you found this helpful and entertaining, I would be so grateful if you could share our show with your friends. And I would be super happy if you subscribed so you can be updated as we publish new episodes. And if you really want to help, leave us a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. The CMO Podcast is a Gallery Media Group original production.